please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, so that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented him uh, gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforter because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archippus, Archelaus was reigning over Judea 
instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this portion of your holy word. We would not know of these events had it not been for the Spirit to guide Matthew in writing these things down. But we thank you for them. We thank you again that here we see a declaration, both Old and New Testament, prophecy and fulfillment, of the coming of the Christ, of the coming of the Messiah, of the King, the King, the Son of David, born in Bethlehem. And so we thank you, Lord, for this account. And as we read it and as we think about it, may we also be encouraged, challenged, equipped to do your will. As we enter into this new year, 2024, may this be a year whereby you are glorified as we follow you. You are the greater star. You are the light of the world. And yet, you also call us to be children of light and to follow the light. And so we ask, O Lord, for that wisdom from above, grace and help. Enable us, O Lord, to glorify you both today and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, Jesus Christ. You've probably heard it been said that environments have an impact on character development. True or false? Can Does your environment affect your upbringing, affect your attitude, affect your character? Sometimes um, there is too much emphasis placed on that. You're just the victim of your circumstances. You're just the victim of how you were treated as a child. Is it the deciding uh, factor? Is environment the deciding factor on who you are, on your character? What would you say? Yes? No? How about yes and no? No. I think no is the right answer. I've said it before, I'll say it again. What is the ABCs of Christianity? Anybody remember that? The ABCs of Christianity. Adversity builds Christ-like character. Part of sanctification, part of the reason we're still here on earth after the Lord regenerates us, brings us to life in Christ, is that work of sanctification, is that work of building that Christ-like character in our lives. As we now come to a new year, sometimes we spend looking back at what was accomplished or how we failed or whatever from last year, but also it's a time to prepare for and focus on what's coming up starting tomorrow, January 1st. And so it's a time to look back and it's a time to look forward. 
Well, if you stop and you think about it, this book primarily is focused on what has happened. But it also looks forward to what is going to happen. And so as we look at this particular text, and we look back 2,000 years ago here in this small town called uh, Bethlehem, and more importantly, in the country of Egypt, the focus is on this child, the Christ, Jesus, born in Bethlehem. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, we see his environment as a young child, raised or born in Bethlehem, probably was there at least a year to two years. If you notice in our text, the word is young child, young child, young child, young child. It doesn't say baby. That's a different word. So, and then notice that when Herod killed all the young children, two years old and under, because of what the wise men said. So at this point in time, we've moved forward in time at least a year. They're living in a house, it says, in Bethlehem. And now this young child is there. And in his environment, there in Bethlehem, then they flee to Egypt. And from Egypt, they travel back uh, to Israel, to Nazareth. So there's different environments mentioned here. Our Lord Jesus Christ's early childhood was adversity, but yet he did not sin. So, but our focus this morning is on Egypt. So if you have the, the main point there in the outline, you can always judge a man by the quality of his enemies. Isn't that an interesting thought? You've all, you can always judge a man by who hates him or who is his enemy. If that's the case, this is especially true of our Lord Jesus Christ. It can also be said of those who are in union with Christ, having been delivered from his enemies and translated into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Do you have enemies? So the, the main question that I'm going to ask later on is, are you an observer or a participant? Are you for him or against him? Are you his enemy in Adam, or are you his follower in Christ? And so let's go back and let's look at our text, first of all. Uh, we hear in verses 1 through uh, 12 of the Magi. And the Magi uh, travel a great distance, and they arrive in Jerusalem, and they are looking for and seeking one who is born king of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Something in heaven, in the heavens, guided them or at least motivated them to travel a far distance to come and to worship the king of the Jews. This is a surprising statement, isn't it? That these Gentiles, these people are separated from God. They are not identified with the true God, and yet they come bearing gifts to worship the king. What's amazing about this text is 
or, or almost kind of comical in a sad way, is when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now why was, well maybe we can understand why Herod was troubled, but why all Jerusalem? And the answer is because Herod was a paranoid individual. He was afraid that someone was going to take his place as king, and so he killed a number of his relatives, including his son, to the point that Caesar, there in Rome, said of Herod, it is safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be his son. Remember, he doesn't eat pork. It's safer to be his pig than to be his son. And now he come, these men come from the east and they say, we're looking for the king and it's not you. What would a paranoid be thinking? Uh-oh, I missed him. Okay, I need to eliminate the competition. And so Herod troubled Jerusalem with his paranoia. And now we have this amazing statement. But yet Herod knows enough to know that there is prophecy in the Bible concerning the coming shepherd, king, the Christ, the Messiah. And so he calls his theologians together and says, where does the Bible say that the Christ, the king of kings, the Christ is to be born? And they say, and they quote from uh, the scriptures in Bethlehem of Judea, as it is written by the prophets. And so he sends the wise men to go and to bring him word so that he could, quote, unquote, worship him also. Is that what he was going to do? No, we read in later on in the text, so that he could kill him. So there are those who seek, who want to destroy him in our text. But yet, what do we see? How was the Christ child delivered? It was by God's sovereign hand. The wise men, it says, they were divinely warned in a dream, verse 12, that they should not return to Herod and departed and went another way. Then Joseph was, uh, the angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and commanded him, get up and go to Egypt. Take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there. And he obeyed. He arose, he took the young child, and he departed, and he was there until the death of Herod. As prophesied in the book of Hosea. God's sovereignty, God's safety. And yet also notice the, the involvement, the involvement of both the wise men and also of Joseph in obedience to God's sovereignty. And so in this text, we see an environment of great danger. As a matter of fact, as we read later on, Herod 
sends and kills every young male child from two years old and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. And yet God's sovereignty protects him in Egypt, of all places. So, my first point. From where were you delivered? Okay, again, we're talking about looking back in the past. We're looking at the past for Jesus, but what about for you? Where were you when you were born? When you were a young child? What was your state before God? What was your situation? My answer would be, you were in danger. Like Jesus. There's a war that's been going on since the garden. The war between the seeds that have carried on throughout history. And here we see it with a reference to Egypt. On Wednesdays, we've been going through the book of uh, John, and the Jews of the day, when Jesus was speaking to them, uh, they made a statement which is so false, it's almost unbelievable. They said, we have never been in bondage to anyone. If you know your Bible, that's not true. Was Israel ever in bondage in Egypt? For hundreds of years? The answer is yes. So let's turn to that. If you have your Bibles open, will you please turn to Exodus chapter 1. Some people call Exodus the gospel according to Moses. And here we have the problem and the deliverance. In verse 7, But the children of Israel were fruitful and, exceed, and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, as you read that, Pat, that verse, does that sound like a fulfillment of a promise by God to Abraham? That God would increase his seed, his descendants, as, as the stars in the heavens and as the sand on the seashore. Now there arose, verse 8, a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to limit their growth or the fulfillment of prophecy of their growth and to preemptively keep them from joining forces in warfare. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built the for Pharaoh supply cities uh, Pithon and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with harshness or rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard 
bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, and all their service in which they made them serve was with harshness or with vigor or with torment or with violence, however you want to translate that word. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the names and so on and basically told them to kill the male children, the potential warriors, the potential household leaders. So what do we see there? War between the seeds, between Pharaoh and the children of Israel. It says there, their burdens and affliction were imposed upon them. The curse was placed upon the people of God. They were burdened in the land. Secondly, their life was bitter with hard bondage. We are talking earlier about environment. What kind of environment would that be like for you and me to be in an environment? Number one, you're the stranger, you're the outsider. Number two, the government's against you. Number three, they make you slaves and put you in bondage, and they make you work to the point of death. Violence. That's the environment that the people of God experienced there in Egypt. They were in slavery... And it was with severity, again, with violence, with torment, with harshness. And then Pharaoh attempts to kill, sound familiar? The male children of Israel. Sound familiar with our text? In our text in Judea, Herod, like Pharaoh before him, cannot abide competition. And so he orders the murder of the Christ child. Again, our text, out of Egypt, I have called my son. That originally was intended to point to Exodus. The Israelites are the son who was called out of Egypt. But they pointed to our Lord Jesus Christ, who, was, who Herod attempted to, to murder using the sword of the state. Again, the real battle is not between Herod and Christ, but between the seed of the serpent, the devil, and his henchmen, who maintain a hold over all in Adam, even today. As we look about ourselves, as we look about the world, as we uh, study what's going on in Africa or in Asia or in Israel or in Ukraine or in Canada or in the United States or Mexico, and we look at all of this wars, wickedness, rebellion, It's easy to panic or to start to be afraid or what's going to happen in 2024? We've got the elections coming up. What kind of games are going to be played? One of the experiences that I had in traveling to the Philippines is 
People in the Philippines look forward to the elections. You know why? Because the year before, everything gets fixed. The roads get fixed. All these wonderful things happen until the election, and then everything goes to pot. But I don't know. What about you? What do you think next year is going to be like? It could be easy to say, oh, this is going to get really bad. We're in kind of a bubble that's going to burst. Even today, we should not be surprised with the way things are. If you name the name of Christ, you will suffer persecution. Is that in the Bible? Or am I just making that up? Am I being a Debbie Downer? Am I being a realist? So how do we face 2024 in an environment that is at war with God? Well, let's ask the question. Second point. Is Christ your deliverer or is he your enemy? The reason for the attempt upon the life of the young child Jesus was the statement by the Magi, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Do you ever think that that was a sentence of death for Christ? That was a declaration of war? At least that's what Herod interpreted it as. There is someone coming to supersede you in authority over the Jews. It was a declaration of war. So my question to you, Christ came to be the deliverer, the greater than Moses who delivered Israel out of Egypt. Is he your deliverer? Because if not, according to the Bible, he's your enemy. And you're in the same place as Herod. I'm in charge here. It's all about me and my will and my exercising of who I am. Is he your deliverer or is he your enemy? What we find that I find is fascinating is the place where Israel was held in bondage for hundreds of years, that is the place where God sends the Christ child. Isn't that odd? Isn't that weird? That probably the most dangerous place for Israel to be at the time of Moses was to be in Egypt. Now, now, the, now God sends Joseph and Mary and the young child Jesus right into Egypt. And it happened to be at this time the safest place for the child. And I want you to keep that in mind. Egypt as a place of temporary refuge, like Joseph and Jacob before him. Here's the point. There is no safe place on earth. Yet in Christ, every place is safe. Is that true? If we're in a world at war with God, is there a safe place? Is there a Switzerland? Is there a demilitarized zone? Well, if we go to this place, there's no warfare. Is that true? 
Is there any place on earth where there is no warfare? That there is a safe place and you can let down your guard, you can take your armor off, you can kick back because you're, you're in safety. Is there? There's no safe place. However, in Christ, every place is safe. Wherever God has you is a safe place because the safety is found in him, not in the place, not in the environment. We are not subject to our environment in that way. He is our resting place. That's what the writer to Hebrews says, that in Christ we have rest right now. We have Sabbath right now. So are you, is Jesus your deliverer or your enemy? Do you have that safe place in Christ? Furthermore, as you think about this, Christ suffered rejection even as a little child. His family had to flee the land of promise, had to flee the covenant people of God and go to a pagan land to find safety. He was despised and rejected by man, even as a child. And then as a man, as he is uh, going about fulfilling God's call, healing the sick, raising the dead, what happened to him? He was betrayed by one he trusted, one of his followers. And he was murdered by state sanction thought of it that way? Even though the state said he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent, and they kill him. I think that's murder. Using the rod, using the sword of the state. But yet, as Peter says, through Christ's death, life and deliverance was accomplished. And what do you say to that? How about an amen? How about a praise the Lord? He came to deliver us, to set his people free. Again, the question to you is, are you an observer or a participant? I mentioned this last week. As we read this account... The question is, are you just observing these things from afar? Oh, that happened 2,000 years ago. Or are you in Christ and you're there with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus or the infant Jesus traveling to Egypt? If you're in Christ, you are there. Does that make sense? As, Paul, as Jesus said to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What do you mean when you persecute my people, you persecute me because I'm there with them? If we're in Christ, we're seated in heavenly places. Our identity is in Christ. We are there at this time. If not, then we don't have deliverance. 
So my question is, are you an observer of these things? Oh, that's a nice story, Pastor, and go on my way. Or were you there? Are you in Christ? Is this attempt on the life of Christ the attempt on the life, your life? You understand? Why was this written? For our edification, for our building up, so that we may understand the gospel. The gospel is tied with Christ. So the third point, one of my, uh, uh, one of my songs that I like to hear, listen to every once in a while, you may or may not have heard before. I've mentioned it before. Uh, Keith Green wrote this song, and the title is, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. I don't know if you has anybody has anybody heard this song? You have, okay. He goes. So you want to go back to Egypt, where it's warm and secure? Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? eating leeks and onions by the Nile. Ooh, what breath, but dining out in style. Ooh, my life's on the skids. Give me the pyramids. Can you hear that kind of language? If you know the Exodus, wanderings, Leviticus, Numbers, does that sound like the children of Israel, the mixed multitude that left Egypt? They grumbled and complained. They're looking back. Well, there's nothing to do but travel, and we sure travel a lot because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. In the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day, and they sure had a winner last night for dinner, flaming manna souffle. Well, we once complained for something new to munch. The ground opened up and had some of us for lunch. Ooh, such fire and smoke. Can't God even take a joke? Again, we laugh. If you're not laughing, you can laugh. That's okay. But it's serious, isn't it? Grumbling and complaining in their tents. That's not a problem with you or I, right? We don't grumble and complain about what the place that God has us for, uh, with or in today. Do we? Do you? Question God. So you want to go back to Egypt, where your old friends wait for you? You can throw a big party and tell the whole gang what they said was all true, and this Moses acts like a big shot? Who does he think he is? It's true, God works lots of miracles, but Moses thinks they're all his. Well, I'm having so much trouble even now. Why did he get so mad about that cow, that golden calf? Moses, he seems rather idle. He just sits around. He just sits around and writes the Bible. Oh, Moses, put down your pen. What? Manna again? Manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna patty, manna bread. So you want to go back to Egypt. How soon we forget 
from where we have been delivered. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 through 6, it says that the people of God grumbled and said, we remember what it was like in Egypt. We had all these things, but they forgot that they were in bondage and that Pharaoh was trying to kill them. They just looked at the good of the world, but they forgot the dangers. The world is not your friend. The world is not your home. We are passing through. How soon we forget from where we've been delivered. How soon we forget the severity of the task of deliverance. Oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know that one. Why do you keep talking about it, Pastor? Can we go on? It's not that important. I've heard it all before. How soon we forget the severity of the task. Here is this child whose life was threatened. Why? Because he was sent to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Is that not unthankfulness? Is that unthankfulness? The writer to the Hebrews, arguing for the importance or the greatness or the how much better Jesus is than all of the old things. He said in Hebrews chapter 10, the blood of bulls and goats were insufficient to redeem, to save, to cover our sin. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So then why did God institute them? Why was there so much blood shed in the Old Testament? Why was it that you took an animal, you placed your, head on, your hands on the head of the animal, confessed your sins, and then you took the knife and you cut its throat and you caused it to die? Why was that necessary? Because you deserve the death that, for that animal. The wages of sin is death. And more importantly, because that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood once for all for the remission of sins. It's not possible for any other way, Jesus said in the garden. Verses 10 through 15 of chapter 10, again he says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Not once for everybody, but once and once and only once. That's the focus. Once. Or he goes on to say, but this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Again, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Isn't that an interesting statement? We are already perfect in Christ, but we're being perfected. <laughs> we're being sanctified. 
It is finished. It is accomplished. And now he's accomplishing what we're living to do. And then he goes on in verses 16 through 25 to talk about all the blessings of redemption. But then he also gives warning in verses 26 through 31. And then in verses 32 through 39, he exhorts us to walk by faith with Christ, our shepherd king. So what's the point? What's the call for 2024? You can write this down. I may ask you this sometime in the future. Okay? Just to see if you're listening to the sermon. Here is my advice for your New Year's resolution. I will live a thankful life every single day. That's your call. That's the point. Thank you, Lord. Every day. So one way to kind of help you with that, to fulfill that New Year's resolution, how many of you have ever made a resolution, a New Year's resolution, and it lasted less than a month? Right. Here's, a, here's one that maybe you can do. I'll give you some assistance. How many of you have read the whole Bible? at least once in your life, have read the whole Bible. I have, come on, guys, back there. Um, okay? Is that something that would be interesting to you, would be interest you, challenge you? If this is God's word, if this is God's word to you, is this important to you? If it is, well, I've started and I've tried to read the Bible in a year and things get busy. So I've set behind you, behind TJ, on the little thing there, uh, three different Bible reading plans. One of them's chronological, which is interesting, and there's a couple others, and they are different. My challenge to you is pick up one of those. And if we run out, bring the last one to me, and we'll make copies. Okay. But take one of those and pray about that idea of saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to try to read the Bible through in a year. I've never done it before, or I have. And how often do you, how often do you eat? How many of you have fasted more than 21 days? How many of you have fasted regularly? How often do we fast from the Word of God? If it's more important, more viable, brings us life, more necessary than food? Are we fasting, Christians? We're on the verge of a new year. Next, tomorrow is January 1st. Happy New Year. What is the resolution? How can I live a thankful life starting tomorrow? Well, one way is by thanking him by reading what he wants you to know. To follow Jesus. To be that student. So in summary, do environment and circumstances affect a person's life? Has what has happened to you in the past affect you now 
It will affect you tomorrow. And the answer is yes, it has an effect. But here's the question. Is it determinative to your future? Are you living in the past? Are you living in Christ in the present, looking forward to his return? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth, enduring the threat of murder as a small child. We thank you, Lord, for delivering him out of not only the hands of Pharaoh, I mean the hands of Herod, but also delivering him from Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son, and through that calling, uh, we have been delivered from the bondage of hell of the and delivered, transformed into the kingdom of the son of his love. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us to embrace this again, to renew that thankfulness for what you have done for us, and also that we would live for you as we set apart, as we start off a new year. We pray that it would be a year in Christ, for Christ, through Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.